0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Missing Pillar of Health podcast. This is episode number 82, and I am talking with Melita Cyril of Q4Quinn. She is a recovering banker and management consultant, and she had her eyes and ears open for different entrepreneurial ideas during her maternity leave. When her baby suffered from eczema, and she struggled to find the right socks for his sensitive feet. She started Q for Quinn, a company that sells gentle, healthy basics for the entire family. And I am a Q for Quinn customer. I love their stuff. And I thought Melita would be an excellent guest to come and shed some light on what it's like as a manufacturing business, because as consumers, We don't often think about everything that goes into the products that we buy. And when there are lots of buzzwords floating around, like organic and different versions of sustainability with clothing, it can be difficult to know where we are spending our money and if it is worth it. And so I wanted to talk to Melita about her journey in manufacturing because this was a very new field for her. So she was coming into it as a newbie and learning along the way, which I think lends itself well to some insights as a consumer as well. And so we talk about a lot of different things, why she tries to reduce polyester, what goes into the GOT certification in her products, as well as the manufacturing facilities, why she manufactures her products overseas, And then we get a little bit philosophical as well about the cost of clothing and how we need to approach pricing analysis as consumers and how maybe we can have conversations with the brands that we choose to support. I loved this conversation and I think you will too. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Missing Pillar of Health podcast, the show that tackles the often misunderstood and underestimated topics related to toxins and their impact on our health and well-being. I'm your host, environmental engineer, mom of two, and founder of Green at Home, Emma Roman. My mission is to help you reduce toxins in your life without fear, judgment, or shame, so you can be more informed and empowered to take action on issues that matter to your health. The research is clear that toxic chemicals found in the products we use, food we eat, water we drink, and air we breathe are contributing to the rise of chronic illness, allergies, infertility, autoimmune disease, and more. The good news is you can reduce your exposure without having to drastically change your lifestyle, and I'm here to show you how. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. I believe addressing toxins is a critical step towards creating healthier and happier families, communities, and ultimately a better planet. And that starts right here, right now. Let's dive into today's show.
1: Melita, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Emma. I'm so happy to be here. I have followed you for a while now and I'm grateful. And it is my absolute pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Before we dig into all things socks and clothing, can you share a little bit
1: about you and why you started a clothing line? A little bit of background. I grew up in Sri Lanka. My dad was an entrepreneur, so I guess I had that entrepreneurial itch with me. I guess everything I could remember, I used to... He used to take me to business trips and, and things like that. So I, I guess he's always been that inspiration behind entrepreneurship. I moved to the UK for my undergrad education, met my husband there. He's Canadian. So we kind of in a spontaneous move decided to move to CASAP where I did my MBA here. I worked for a couple of years. I worked for a very stressful job. So I was, I, I decided to take some time off, to be honest. We was struggling to get pregnant with my first. So we decided to take some time off, actually help. Support the family business back in Sri Lanka came back and then she got pregnant with my son and I became a first time mom six, seven months in. He suffered from eczema since he was two months and then he had sort of eczema all over his body. And when I found that there was more and more options for organic cotton clothing, there wasn't so much for socks. And so given my sort of entrepreneurial itch, if you'd like, the fact that I didn't have a job to go back to (laughs) and me looking to solve this problem for my son. I started looking into socks, looking into finding good quality, even manufacturing good quality organic cotton socks. And that's kind of how it all started. That's how Keeper Quay started. The person I am, I just wanted to create the best possible product out there. So I designed it such that it could be mixed and match, so that kids can have fun with it. There is a flat toe seam across the toe for comfort. And we're so grateful with all of these little details because what I didn't know at the time is that... Oops, Kids are very sensitive to seams and the flat toe seam can cause little children to, or even bigger children, even adults, to to reject their socks. And so we're, we're so happy that a big part of our demographic now, customer base is kids who are very sensitive or have sensitive processing disorder. So yeah, just focus on all the little details to create this little sock company. And that was a little over four years ago. <laughs> okay.
0: And my son is very sensitive to a lot of things, including clothing. And so we love your socks and underwear and pajamas because he can put them on and he doesn't have his little quirks that he finds annoying in a lot of different pieces of clothing. So I can attest to that, that you've got a great line of products that serve a lot of different needs, I think. I'm curious, Thank Your you. the work that you were doing before, was any of that in manufacturing or fashion or clothing? Um,
1: no, absolutely not. not. <laughs> in fact, I worked for a very capitalist organizations. So I worked in investment banking. I was a trader in England. When I came here, I did my MBA, and I worked as a consultant advising Fortune 100 companies and helping them increase their bottom line. <laughs> and I just never found that very satisfactory. I, I think I really developed a robust skill set with, with all my, with my prior life. But in the end, I was just looking for that flexibility and job satisfaction that I feel like I have now building this, this company, creating a team. And really making an impact on our customer lives as well as the lives of the world's poorest children. One of the things we do is we also donate school meals through an incredible organization called Mary's Meals. Yeah, I just feel a lot more fulfilled <laughs> than I than I was previously. But yeah, no no direct knowledge really or experience with manufacturing when I started,
0: which puts you in a unique position because you're almost coming into it like a consumer starting this business, mm-hmm. trying to figure out a completely new field. And I think a lot of us as consumers take for granted what goes into making the things that we buy, whether it's clothes or toys or things in our kitchen, you know. So what were some of the things that you learned about the manufacturing process that you hadn't thought of before? a lot <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning as I go and maybe some things that maybe as consumers we wouldn't necessarily think of either that you know yeah. we could think about more as we're as we're buying things
1: yeah I think I always question the status quo of, of things but I'll give you an example but you know our first set of stuff I wanted to quit stuff without any polyester because I just you know I did not like polyester clothing for the lack of breathability. It was a synthetic material, not good for art, etc. But I very much struggled to find manufacturers who wouldn't do that because the polyester was there to serve a purpose with the sock. So it was to strengthen the sock, especially when you have designs, it offers strength to the sock. So the last thing I wanted was a sock that I created that can only last like a few weeks or so (laughs) and so just understanding those constraints and as a consumer thing why can't we make this a certain way but when you manufacture especially with clothing and we're even seeing this with new categories that we're trying to enter you know there are things that are there are materials that we use for stretch for example that cotton naturally doesn't have a lot of stretch to it and so there's a lot of learning on what each sort of material the materials that go into it, the combination all of that is created for the performance of the clothing that you kind of take for granted that you don't know. And when you just change even a small detail, it can make a big impact to the performance of the item or the clothing item. So right now we've, you know, over the years, we had a lot of feedback in terms of, yeah, I want almost 100% organic cotton that, And, you know, we're so glad we figured out a way to do that <laughs> with our manufacturer. So we have, you know, a couple of collections and a growing collection base of almost 100% cotton. But we always reassure our customers that, you know, whatever polyester we use, we've tested, it's, uh, we might talk about GARTS later, but it's approved by the Global Organic Textile Standards because they also understand the constraints that are placed with manufacturing and creating a product for performance and not just for the sake of it, Right. And is
0: polyester cheaper than cotton as a, yeah. as an in a hundred percent product as well? hundred percent. Yes. Yes. So there's a mix there of performance, but also
1: cost, I imagine, in terms of yes. why a lot of brands are using it. Exactly. And we, what we did was for our initial set of socks and even now we try to balance it. So we try to minimize the use of polyester to get the maximum performance for that sock. So we had. We, we basically work with two compositions now. It is the 80% organic cotton, 18% polyester, 2% spandex and the 98% organic cotton, 2% spandex. So we're always learning and we're always trying to innovate and be different and create a product that our customers want and see the improvement. So for our first customers have grown with us and they see the changes that they make. And, you know, we get emails from them saying, thank you for always taking into account our feedback. And that's what it's all about. I think it's It's like listening to customers, seeing what they're saying. Obviously, we have the constraints of manufacturing, but seeing how can the two sort of come together and how can we create products that that without, without compromising on the key aspects of the product.
0: And where are your products made and how did you forge those manufacturing relationships to be able to give that feedback and work with them to create a product that meets your needs, your customers' needs, and also that is, you know, actually able to be made?
1: Yeah, uh, it takes time. Our original production was in Sri Lanka. I grew up there. We did like, as part of this, I didn't want to create any biases. I wanted to s- go after which, which countries or which facilities were the best suited for what I was looking for. So we got samples from Italy, Sri Lanka, and China. And Sri Lanka by far was the best in terms of what we were looking for. The facility was also got certified. At the time, we were not got certified as a brand. We were just new, so it I was we were learning, and 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 so it was important for me that I knew I had done a lot of research on the certification, and I knew that if I found facilities that I got certified, they have to abide by certain standards for organic textile, monitoring the production, but also socially, so that I can make sure that the the products are made by people who are treated with the utmost respect and are paid living wages, not just the country's minimum wage. My dad, and my family lives in Sri Lanka. It was easy for us to be there to sort of guide that first production. So it made a lot of sense. That's why original production was for, we still produce some of our socks there, but now the majority of our production is actually produced by a family-owned company in Portugal. We just found that their quality was better. This kind of speed to market was a little bit better even the shipping from Europe to Portugal versus Europe, it was better that way. I did want to note that I was looking for manufacturers even locally, but I couldn't find a manufacturer who would do baby and kid socks. There There are a few manufacturers in Canada who do adult socks, but a lot of them have gone to various spots. A lot of the manufacturing has moved. So they don't have the machines to do baby and kid socks. So I was constrained in that way in terms of trying to look at Try to find somebody locally, and even today, I haven't found a manufacturer who's got certified in Canada, and that's mm. become an important part of our brand. And that's why we are almost forced to work overseas to to manufacture. That's good to know
0: because I was I was going to ask because I know a lot of people look for made in Canada or made in USA yeah. specifically, you know, for local manufacturing from a material sourcing and a labor perspective. There are Benefits, I think, to buying made closer to where you are. But when you're dealing with products that are made of cotton, I mean, that raw material is coming from somewhere else as well. So it's not like everything is 100% local, even if it's made locally. But that's an important note is that just because you can find some products made in Canada or made in the US, that doesn't mean that there are manufacturing facilities for everything. So yeah. that's interesting that it's just, I guess, there isn't the same demand for locally made kid socks.
1: Yeah, and, and it's not just demand. I mean, we'll get to this in a, in a while when we talk about kind of this idea of externalities. Like I like did my undergrad was in economics. So this sort of like why some manufactured in some countries or others. It, it's just because like Canada, US I and mean, even Europe have moved into more of a service based service based, you know, sector. And there's this idea of comparative advantage. There are other countries that are better suited, have the skill set, have the arbitrage in terms of cost in order to be able to produce at scale compared to Canada and the U.S. So in some areas, we are strong and including some farming areas, but in other words, we don't have the local skills or oh, that's just you know gone over these because that's where the comparative advantage is. So like taking yeah, looking at it sort of holistically and seeing and I think that's why non-lap consumers understand that we sometimes just don't have the skills to even manufacture here or the certification that you know, these suppliers there's just not enough that not enough global demand, I guess, from for manufacturing in Canada for them to have that build that expertise.
0: Yeah. You talked about some of the materials that you use in your socks. You also have wool socks now, which was exciting for us doing lots of outdoor activities and and whatnot. Wool is great for moisture wicking and that kind of thing. And you talked about the importance of GOTS and making sure that your polyester is free from toxins as well. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to be a GOT certified brand and yeah. what it means compared to a non-certified product maybe and what goes into choosing your your materials and why is it different than the regular socks that you see on the shelves?
1: Yeah. As a brand, we are we're essentially sort of a trade. We don't do manufacturing ourselves so we don't have manufacturing facility. So we decided to get GOT certified as a brand so that, our consumers can have the confidence that a third party is auditing this brand to make sure they hold the God standards in their product. So not only can we include the God logo in our packaging to say it was certified by God to this standard, but we are also held accountable for the ability to trace every one of our products right to the farm. That's a key part of the got certification as well as far as products are concerned, the traceability and being able to. So there's with every production that we do of any got certified product, we get transaction certificates from our suppliers to show the authenticity of the product. So essentially the way to think of it is the, is the USDA equivalent or USDA organic equivalent for textiles by being got certified brand, We are forced to only work with got certified facility. And that's even important for us because got is just not only about the product, it's about the people who make the product too, and the environment as well. So those facilities have to have an environmental policy. They have to have a social policy that is acceptable. They have to be paying their workers a fair living wage. The workers have the right to collective bargaining. And so that gives us, so it's, it's one thing going to a facility and visiting and they put up you know the best their best practice for for that but it's another thing making sure that you know these are part of their social policies all year round not during the visit so that gives us a confidence in our manufacturing as well Be, being certified as a brand is really a communication to our consumers to say we are the real deal anybody can say their products are made from organic cotton but were they produced to the standard of GOSP? Was it really bought organic cotton or is it organic like anybody can say any any yarn supplier or a textile manufacturer can say this is organic cotton. Where is the authenticity, right? It's the same with organic organic food. Unless there is that label and the certification for it, there is no authenticity, right? <laughs> there is no traceability.
0: Yeah. And I think Using organic cotton as an input has its benefits compared to conventional cotton. But if you're doing that at the expense of workers and you're still using, you know, conventional, cheap, poorly treated workers, I don't think that that's it's not taking the big picture into account. And so, yeah, you might feel good because you're buying clothes that say organic, but when it's harming everybody else in the process, then that's a big missing link in in marketing. And we see it in so many of the big clothing brands. You know, since the collapse of the factory happened, brands have been saying, oh, we are looking at manufacturing and we've improved practices. But we know that that's not happening. And so having this third party coming in and third party certifications, like I'm the first to say that they are not perfect, right? They are. It's not necessarily a be all end all for everything. However, it is definitely a check. The majority of the time the practices are being implemented as you're saying that they are being implemented. And so that's why and getting those certifications is an extra cost as well because you have this oversight that's happening. And so it it adds on these layers. You're using better materials. You're paying people a wage that they can feed their families and, you know, live their lives. And making sure that all of those things happen comes at a price as well. And I think we very quickly default to the sticker price. And we don't take into account everything that had to go into that sticker price. And so I challenge people, if you see a $5 t-shirt, where was that money? Where is that money going? Right. And knowing all of the people that were involved to bring that t-shirt to the rack, it does not add up when you consider the costs to the environment, people making it communities around manufacturing, all of these things that you talked about as to why you started looking at at GOT certification in the first place, I think it's so important to recognize that all of those things are not standard practice. And the standard practice is toxic in lots of different ways. And I I have another episode that I'll link to in the show notes talking about conventional clothing manufacturing, specifically and the impacts that they can have on the environment that I think dovetails quite nicely with this conversation. So I will link that one as well there have been some recent studies or investigations coming out with BPA being found in socks your socks are BPA free how do you know that and what is the
1: where does the BPA come from so BPA is a prohibited substance according to god as well including hundreds of other chemicals and so then Obviously is, is, is not allowed to make our way, make their way into our product, but we also test them because when, when the study, when the first study, there was a Spanish study that came out two years ago or two and a half years ago. At the time we were not got certified, but we had, you know, sourced a got certified product. And so we, we obviously were concerned that this was in the majority of socks. So let's test our socks. So we use it in third party called Intertech. They're a global organization. So, even our manufacturers also use them in order to test at random to make sure there's none of these prohibited substances in any of our products. So, in addition to the tests that we're required to do, we go over and above to make sure for peace of mind. And at the time when the the study came out, my daughter, uh, my second, was six months and she kept putting her socks in her mouth. (laughs) So, for me personally, it was important. To make sure that they're BPA free. And that's all we, we don't want to make any product that we won't wear ourselves or give to our own children. And it is not right to do that. So we take that extra step so that our consumers can have the peace of mind that our socks are BPA free and free from so many other chemicals. It's not really that in North America, azo dyes are not banned like they are. I feel like the EU has a lot higher standard for things like this, and so we also, by default, a lot of the manufacturers that we work with they supply to the European Union market as well, who are well versed of the different chemicals that are harmful not only to ourselves, health, and our skin, but also our planet. So we do a lot of research and make sure that you know we are compliant to the highest standard out there, and not just North American standards. I'm glad you brought up
0: dyes because that was a big part of the conversation that I had with Basil, one of the founders of the the sportswear company Temple, was on dyes. And that was one reason that they started because they saw the research around effluent water from manufacturing facilities making clothes and the dyes are polluting rivers and drinking water sources around those manufacturing facilities. So you're even looking at... The dyes that are being used. And I guess that's, is that part of GOTS then as well? Absolutely. The dye that goes Absolutely. in, it's not just
1: the raw material. Correct. Yeah. Azo dyes are banned by GOTS. If, if it's a GOTS certified product, you have that assurance that there were no Azo dyes used.
0: And Azo is an acronym. I don't know what it means, but A Z O. They are the type of dyes that are conventionally used in, in clothing that have been identified as harmful. And for some people who might be thinking like, okay, socks have BPA. I mean, yeah, sometimes babies may be sucking on, on them. That's not ideal. But really, if BPA is in my clothes, is just on my feet, does it really matter? And I think that's a valid question. But there has been... I use the term research loosely because it was a very small kind of study and test. But looking at receipt paper and people held receipt paper for, I think it was 15 minutes and they tested levels of BPA before and after holding the receipts. And they did find elevated levels of BPA after holding the receipts. And so when you think of just that small exposure and surface area, receipts are now being pushed to be BPA free because a lot of people as part of their job are holding them all the time. And so when you think of socks that go on your feet. Well, you might think it's a small area of your body. If you think of children in particular, we know that their toxic exposures are higher than adults just because their kind of body surface area ratio is so much different. And so socks sitting on feet, you know, if your feet get sweaty, your pores are opening, that opens up another access point. So I think that we should be concerned about these things. And it can feel overwhelming for people to think like, oh my gosh, I just got rid of BPA plastic in my kitchen because I thought that was the problem. And now I have to worry about my socks. Take a breath, okay? I I think it's really important that we understand what is going into the products that we are putting in our bodies and on our bodies. Do I think that we should be throwing out all of our socks immediately? No. But these are questions that we should be asking of the companies that we are making purchases from, and they there are lots of very big brands that are making money on label alone and not putting in half of the effort that Q for Quinn is putting in to make sure that their products are made ethically, environmentally, responsibly, and you know with good performance as well and so I think it's really important to recognize that. And the more that we are aware, you know, I talk a lot about inf- knowledge is power and the idea isn't to be making you freak out about everything, but we can't be empowered to make change if we don't know. And so I think knowing is kind of the first step and then you can make choices going forward with that knowledge. So I just wanted to provide that that context because, you know, the fact that socks have BPA is just one piece of the the puzzle, but what does that actually mean? So,
1: little tangent. Thank you, thank you for that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's very helpful. I couldn't have said it better. And we, when we advertise, you know, when we market our products, we don't just say, okay, they're clean. We, we, because we focus on the holistic nature of our products and not just that the clean aspect is so important to us, but it's like you said, how it's made and and what cost is it. The human cost, the environmental cost, because if there's BPA in socks, there's chemicals, the, the likelihood of other chemicals that have damage to the environment and damage to even the workers that make our socks is, is very high. So we, we we focus on offering a healthier alternative for our customers, but also really a better, most sustainable alternative for our planet and for our communities and, and for the people who make make our products.
0: And thank you for doing it because it's, I know it's not easy being a small business in manufacturing, let alone in the clothing industry. And I know that this is a question that you get often. And so I would like to ask it to you. What (laughs) do you say to people who tell you that you charge too much for socks, pajamas or underwear or whatever they're looking at?
1: Yeah, we break it down for them. We highlight the various costs that go into manufacturing our products, the material cost, the labor cost, the fact that we pay our workers a living wage, not just minimum wage. The fact that our, our products are not harmful to the environment. They're made from premium organic cotton, our focus yeah. on, on comfort and the little details. And in most cases, people do understand that it takes all these components and that's what's driving the price. We proudly say we're not here to compete with, you know, the Walmarts of the world. We're here to create a product that lasts, that does not end up in a landfill in a few months or sitting in your drawer in a few months. And we create products with integrity. And that's where the, the price difference is. Back in the day, about a couple of years ago, I wrote an article, I forget what it's called, but it's all around this concept of externality. As a previous sort of economist myself, when the true cost is not Part of the supply and demand curve, like when the true cost is sorry, part of the supply curve, the supply curve is wrong. So the price is wrong. When you incorporate the environmental costs and the social costs of these $1, $5, $1 stacks, $5 t-shirts, it's much higher. And we have incorporated those social costs and environment. we're paying for that. And that's why our price is higher. And that's how I could break it down from a very Pure economic straightforward way our the way our supply and demand curve intersects is different from the way a Walmart supply and demand curve intersects because their supply curve is just wrong it's not
0: that your products are too expensive it's that conventional products are too cheap
1: exactly and that's what's encouraged this whole overconsumption this whole behavior once the majority of the consumer's fast fashion is the culprit like. You know, wear, wear something for a day and just discard it, like, or even for a season and just discard it. I mean, we get asked a lot, like, you know, can we do, you know, i do socks for Halloween and all that. We're still small business, so we, we want to know that we can sell through our socks. We don't even want it to sit in a warehouse and not be used. But the, the, the whole seasonality of fashion and the whole disposable culture of, you know, products is is part of the problem because people are encouraging this sort of supply <laughs> and, and behavior with, with their demand. So it's about voting with their wall- wallets. It's about buying fewer fewer things that may be high in price because they incorporate all these social environmental costs. But in the long run, you're saving yourself because these products for us are less costly to our environment. And, you know, as a mom with three kids, I want to make sure there's a future for our kids. And so So it's important for us to make sure that we are as gentle in our environment with our behavior as possible.
0: I think that's a great thought to end on. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights and kind of insider look at what it's like to be making a product and selling it to market. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Emma, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Yep. And I will drop in the show notes where you can go to check out q for quinn But
1: for those who don't want to check them out, do you want to let people know where they can find you? The website is www.q, the letter Q4Quinn.com. The Q, 4 quinncom the qforquin com And social media? Our Instagram handle is q quinn And our Facebook is at q for quinn Shop. Awesome. Again, I will link those in the show notes
0: for those of you. I encourage you to check them out, give them a follow, and maybe try some socks. Talk to you later, Melita.
1: Hey, Cam. Wait, before you
0: go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you've heard, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a written review. You can do it right from the app. It takes just a sec and really helps me to be able to continue to share this important information with more people. Plus, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks so much and bye for now.